Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, March 21 of 2023, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. Today we gather at 6.30 a.m. and for Charles Willard in Minnesota on Central Time at 5.30 a.m. This Sunday is March 26th and we are working to be faithful to year A. Here's how it works. We prepare independently in advance of the discussion after receiving some formative questions from the week's leader. And then in this podcast we share, question, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining in the conversation today. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida. Charles Willard, Minnesota. Sarah Mickelson in Texas. Sarah? How many many degrees, Charles? 23. Woof. Mm -hmm. Uh, 48 here in Tampa. Sarah. (laughs) And I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, our leader for today will guide us through the conversation is Sarah Mickelson. Looking forward to uh, dealing with a long but beloved, important passage. Sarah, take it away. We find ourselves in the book of John. In this week's story, we're visiting the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And our passage picks up in chapter 11, verses 1 through 45. We've divided the story up so that each of us gets a chunk of the story, and our first reader is Don. Don, would you please pick it up for us? Sure will. Thank you. And we're, I believe we're all reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world. But those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. After saying this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. Jesus, however, had been speaking about his death, and they thought that he was referring merely to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. And Jesus arrived. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Mary, to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. 
while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the son of the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may see, so they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who heard him, had come with him with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. And that ends the reading of our scripture. Thanks be to God. Wow. Just wow. This has a a made-for-TV movie whole thing stamped on top of it. It makes me think about how miraculous it is to be around Jesus, just in general, and how startling this must have been to everybody that witnessed it, and how just spectacular. Um, I'm thinking about Don's 
remembrance of a sermon about family photos. Why do you think the stories of Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the blind man that was healed, and the raising of Lazarus have been lifted up specifically during Lent? What journey are we meant to walk through in the reading of these stories in this sequence? What do you got for me, Bill? Um, as I told you in the pre-recording, even as I was signing on this morning, I was thinking and making some notes. Um, first of all, I appreciate your asking us, in a sense, to look back several weeks and do another flyover, if that's an appropriate imagery. Uh, I appreciate that. And since we hopefully are a resource for persons who are going to engage in or lead Bible study, uh, I would say that's an important point that we, uh, one of the principles of biblical interpretation is read Scripture in the light of Scripture. So look at one story in the light of the whole. So thank you for that. My thoughts. These stories challenge what we today call we-they thinking. Uh, Father Richard Rohr calls it binary thinking, black and white, right or wrong. Um, it, it challenges that natural human tendency, and it makes it clear, which I think is part of Father Rohr's mission, that Jesus did not primarily engage in binary thinking. Now, building on that, Lent is often thought of as a time for remorse, uh, guilt, repentance, all of which are important. Uh, when Will Wellman was still at Palmasia, we're guiding our adult faith formation. When he taught a class on Lent, he reminded us there are more than 40 days in Lent because the Sundays are not counted. And according to Will, that was because in the past when Lent was established, it was a day to celebrate. It was a day to embrace uh, the joy of life. So uh, along with the, the challenging feelings, I, I think uh, Lent, as we are guided, it is about doing justice. Yes, there's, there's human sin and guilt and remorse, and, but these stories relate what Jesus did as well as what he said. The passages aren't the ones where Jesus is alone on the mountain praying or out on the lake, all of which are important. This is Jesus in relationship with other people, all of whom are challenged. Nicodemus privately, the other stories more public, and these stories illustrate for us what Jesus' mission and priorities were. And it's a reminder to me, Sarah, of the prologue to John's gospel. Read scripture in the light of scripture. The word became flesh and lived among us. To all who received him, who believed on his name, he, be, he gave power to become children of God. It's, it's not about 
wallowing in remorse or grief. It's about being alive and being uh, energized and knowing that each of us, no matter what our race or color or whatever circumstances might describe us, are beloved children of God. My mind is still working, but I'll stop with that for now, Sarah. John, why do you think these stories were lifted up specifically during Lent? Well, and that that sermon memory is a sermon of John Debevoise, who's the senior pastor at Palmacy of Presbyterian Church. I could almost say a generation ago, no doubt, dealing with these, and he referred to why we pick certain pictures out of a box, and here's three. Uh, By the way, it's my favorite sermon I ever gave. Uh, uh, Bill, you talked about uh, a day to celebrate, and my, my answer to this is, all three come together as a meditation on the hours in a day, in a day. I think they all have that in common. So you say a day to celebrate. I think we all work in the context of the day. Jesus' parables often go through a day and the hours of the day. For instance, workers showing up and being paid at different times of the day. And I would commend everybody to the poetry and the prose around how we think differently as we go through a day. We, we reflect on what's going on. We have expectations as the day passes. So I think they have that in common here, and they bring Nicodemus, the woman at the well, and in this case, uh, uh, those who have lost Lazarus, uh, all come into the story with inquiries. All come into the story with expectations and assumptions about how things work. Uh, not necessarily right, in some cases not quite right, need to be filled in, but they have inquiries and expectations. And there are clarifications that they're seeking in a lot of places, some very extreme, uh, but uh, some, some clarifications that require their own reflection. And in every case through the day, we've got Nicodemus visiting at nighttime for a theological discussion. And then we have the woman at the well in the heat of the day. We have noon, let's say 9 o'clock at night. And then we've got the final one, so, which is the message, the call for help. Uh, so we've got a visit. We've got two people crossing paths at a crossroad at a well. And we've got another one driven by a, a message. And I think in that case, we've got the noon of the day, the heat of the day, the business of life, 9 o'clock at night, a time to reflect and, 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 and think, which is a time for learning, I think, in the tradition of the times. And then the other one is midnight or beyond midnight, because we're dealing with not just the end of the day, but the end, the end of life, end of life. And so I, I think, or too late, too late for a conversation. So I, I think they're lifted up because they're all positioned in the arc of life and the arc of the day. Take them on uh, in that context. So that's that's the beginning of my answer, Sarah. Oh, good thinking, Don. Thank you for taking me there. Charles, what do you think? Why why are we giving these stories specifically during Lent? I don't know. It's a good answer. I don't know. I've been sitting here and thinking, did I miss something somewhere? I don't... It crossed not... my mind that in each of these stories, there's a challenge to a moray that's being held 
close and used as a boundary to prevent people from having access. So in Nicodemus's case, the boundary he's crossing are the, the expectations of the people on, on the council with him. The Pharisees and Sadducees um, would have prevented Nicodemus from speaking to Jesus because they've already set up this kind of guideline that says, you know, if you are, are a disciple, you can't be a part of the temple. So there's this interesting human construction of a boundary that Nicodemus is crossing to have a conversation with Jesus because he feels it's just. He says you can't accuse somebody without giving them the opportunity to speak first. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, in that justice that you talked about, Bill, and I'm interested in this notion of stepping over human-constructed boundaries that prevent God from reaching the people that need to be reached. In the woman at the well, there's the social mores that go against this woman. Um, you know, she's single. She can't speak to a man directly, one-on-one. It's not considered proper. She's not of the right lineage to speak to Jesus. And yet, Jesus speaks to her and invites her into a conversation. And suddenly, the world opens up and she recognizes that she's known and Jesus cares for her, but not in the way the world has taught her that men care for women, but authentically cares for her. And then we have this story of the blind man. And here is a conversation about being afraid to tell the truth, a conversation about believing people when they tell the truth, and and it's almost like, don't confuse me with the facts, ma'am. This is what I want to know. Tell me exactly what happened and how did he heal you? And he, he did it on the Sabbath, which means we're challenging yet another constructed boundary. And here we are with Lazarus. And, and in Lazarus's case, the boundary we're crossing is the perceived end of life. And this, this sense of what does it mean to lose someone, and is there something beyond this particular experience that we have? Now, Lent gives us the opportunity to grow a deeper understanding of God. I kind of had to do some research on why do we do Lent? And the actions of Jesus demonstrate the extent to which the Creator will go to foster a relationship with us. These passages invite us to see God more clearly through the interactions that Jesus has with each of these people. Jesus invites Nicodemus into a conversation. It allows Nicodemus to challenge and, and have a dialogue about that. That's inviting to me. Um, the story of the woman in the well, we're invited to be fully known. And the blind man invites us to see and be seen because this person was invisible at the gate to the Pharisees and Sadducees. So much so that when he is seen, he can see, they don't recognize him. And I'm, I'm thinking about, I wonder if the story of Lazarus speaks to how beloved we are by God and through the, the way that Jesus cares for this family. So that's what I got for question one. Here's question two. 
What is hidden and revealed in these vignettes of Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the blind man healed, and the beloved Bethany family? What is hidden and what is revealed? What do you got for me, Don? Shortest answer ever in the history of podcasts. Answer, the identity and nature of Jesus. Hidden and revealed. And I'll just add to it, along the way, along the way in a day, a sense for me of, of being prepared to encounter the Christ. They're prepared. There's enough. They're ready in the basic assumptions that they're making, in their inquiries, in their outreach. It's enough. It's enough. And even when he's invited to come and help save Lazarus, you know, it's an entreaty. He, there's enough. He's asked. So I like that. And at the same time, completely unprepared because, you know, the, the revelation of who Jesus is is so far off, so far over the boundaries in terms of what it means. So I, well, I also think our, uh, this, what's, What's revealed to me that was hidden is our common speculations through any day. Uh, I, these remind me that they can be revealed to each other, that there's nothing in these stories that isn't familiar. I mean, if we stage this, we'd go, I understand this. I understand a woman in isolation at the well. I understand a man having a theological conundrum, reaching out to somebody. I understand that there is a life and limb challenge and you reach out to help save your brother. All, I, and death itself, uh, understand, got it. And so all that's revealed, and I think uh, the the narratives that we have of each day that we have actually do crisscross. They were not in isolation. So these are lifted up to us in Lent, not to be cock our head at, like, what's going on? It's like along the way, I don't know about you folks, I get them. I understand them, and I, I certainly understand the the final story, which is today, which is the plea, come come help, come please save the person I love, save my brother. And, and over time in history, I recognize these things. So they're prepared and at the same time really unprepared. Each story uh, is engaging with character or characters in ways that I understand, but it's not quite settled usually. So if it's a theological discuss, discussion, it would go on another day. Not quite settled. We'll talk again tomorrow. Not here. Not here. Oh, uh, there's a woman at the well. Uh, She's revealed. Time goes on. A lot more than that takes place. Lazarus is dead. Done. No, no, not quite there either. There's so much more. But I think for me, back to the, the core answer, what was hidden and what is revealed, the identity and the nature of Jesus. That's what I got. Thank you. Charles, what do you have? What is hidden in one I'm 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 every every Tuesday morning. And I don't think it's just because it's so early in the morning, but every Tuesday morning this group manages to rest and then um uh, H E I Howard would say you would say <coughs> rest we grab it and we take it and we work with it. Uh you you, you the the three of you do it in a remarkably consistent and thoughtful 
and revelatory pattern. And I, I thank you for it. Bill, what do you think? Mike Don, I'll give a quick answer and then expand a bit. <clears throat> You're asking what is hidden and revealed. And I like that <clears throat> combination, Sarah. And I think you get at not only the heart of this passage, the heart of the Gospel of John. You know, Jesus is light. Uh, Jesus brings newness of perspective and newness of circumstances. Now, there's a, a familiar quote, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, okay? Now, I'm not a huge fan of somewhat simplistic uh, proverbs, but there's a truth to that that we can understand that um, we can't control fully what happens to us. We do make choices about how we respond to what happens to us. Okay, but I think it's important that Jesus changes the perspective, not just of Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the blind man, but those around him, because there's a dialogue with others, except in the story of, of Nicodemus. Now, I'm going to quote again something, I, I think it was last week, in watching an interview of those who developed, produced, directed the, the series called Chosen, which is a retelling of the gospel in modern, not in the time of Jesus, but doing it very creatively. Uh, the director was saying that to, to him, Jesus' life and ministry came down to get used to different <laughs> you're going to be changed. Um, and there's another quote that I've heard that I like. Jesus meets us where we are, as we are, but Jesus does not leave us where we are, as we were or are. Um, this whole emphasis on transformation of seeing the world differently and again, I like your phrase, hidden and revealed. In a sense, it's hidden yet seeable. The scripture, let them see who have eyes to hear, let them hear who have ears to hear. And I think of our time, Sarah, and the conflict in at almost every level of our lives, individually and corporately and globally, and it matters how we see each other. Do we see each other as enemies or as fellow human beings? Do you send rockets and drop bombs on people you believe are as fully human as you are? No, that perception leads to behaviors that are destructive. Um, so it seems to be hidden but it is there for those who wish to see. Thank you, Sarah. It strikes me that no matter where we come from, Jesus wants to have a conversation. It strikes me that uh, even if I'm off limits or what's the right word, incarcerated by some behavior or 
by some social structures. Jesus wants to have a conversation. Um, so it's almost as if this is God's way of saying, I'm ready to spend time with you people. I want to have coffee. I want to sit down and hear what you have to say. I think that you're important. And there doesn't seem to be a limit to what God will do and what God will do through Jesus to express that. Um, you know, this sense of the the mores and the boundaries that were constructed by the people who wanted to keep the law really were overturned a bit by Jesus' behavior because he seems to want to say, that's not a part of the story. You've made that part up. Or that's not the most important part of this story. You need to let, be able to let that go. Um, you know, sometimes we have, I, I don't know if you have this challenge in your family, but we have some very strong sense of, of right and wrong in our house and in some cases, it's caused people to really have problems with how they see the world, especially when the world seems to be so messy and so blended and gray. It's not black and white. It's not binary. And that bothers some of the people in my house um, because of the way they think. And it has less to do with right and wrong and more to do with is it okay to put your left shoe on your right foot and your right shoe on your left foot? That sense of that moray doesn't seem to fit with me, Mom. I'm like, but it seems to be something that other people want to experience, and it's okay. So it's almost like we have to give each other the freedom to do and approach Jesus in the way that they need to. And it doesn't have to be prescribed the way I would do it. I think there, that as human beings, we are structured in such a way that we perceive our way is the best and only right way. And maybe maybe that's Jesus saying, are you confident that that's your position? Do you really want to hold to that? Because this is really not that. And each of us has to come to Jesus in our own path. So either by the dark, well, or from a blind perspective, you know, on, on the wrong day, at the wrong time, at the wrong place, um, or even even after we've experienced something heartrending. So I, I think this is a challenge uh, for me to see that who does Jesus want me to see? And what practices, mores, and boundaries do we need, do we need to let go of? Because they prevent us, and they prevent God from doing what God needs to do. So I'm curious about that um, and, and, and gives us more flexibility and freedom to stand within our faith. My third and last question, yeah, the last question. And I have to say this felt like a, a bit of a softball, but I'm, I'm kind of happy about it. What character line or phrase <laughs> in this narrative stands out to you and why? Charles, we'll start with you. What what line, character, or phrase stands out in this narrative, and why? No one in particular. Uh, this is an overwhelming text, and I think that you all have done an extraordinary job of making sense out of 
not nonsense, but making sense out of puzzles. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Um, what do you got for me, Bill? <clears throat> I'll read several verses and then note the one. Um, 34 to 37, Jesus said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus began to weep. Just as Lazarus was not spared from death, so this is an event that points to Jesus's later death. Even the Son of God, fully human, fully God, is going to experience death. That reminds us, no matter how real and deep our faith is, death is the future for each of us. Um, And it powerfully illustrates how varied are the reactions of those who surround a grieving person. Recently, Reverend Chuck Jones in Adult Faith Formation were doing a series on spiritual disciplines. Frankly, I'd never thought of grieving, mourning as a spiritual discipline. Uh, Chuck did a a very good job of saying that it is a spiritual discipline. And a part of what he emphasized was everybody grieves differently. Let's respect those differences. And we see uh, Jews coming to believe in Jesus um, seeing how much he loved him, others criticizing him, uh, including the sisters. They expressed their disappointment in Jesus. We also ex- experience disappointment in God. So that that phrase, Jesus weeping, grieving, uh, says so much. <clears throat> now, I learned this verse as a child from the King James Version, which translates it as Jesus wept, past tense. <clears throat> the New Revised Standard Version correctly translates it as Jesus began to weep. In grammar, that's referred to as the imperfect tense. When I first heard that term, I thought, what's wrong with it? Imperfect means it's not complete. It began in the past and continues in the present. Um, and actually, it's one word in the original Greek. It, it's, they correctly add Jesus began to weep. It's a verb, began to weep, implied he began to weep. Oh, we don't, quote, get over it in an instant. Um, my father died when I was 30 years old. I'm 81, and there are moments still and true for my mother, when I re-experience the loss. And just as this narrative illustrates that death awaits each of us, so also it illustrates the resurrection. There's a reference to the stone at the tomb and the cloth, which figure prominently in a few weeks in the resurrection story. And finally, a brief reference to the epistle this week in the lectionary is Romans 8 and verse 11 says it's the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you again Sarah the reference to life 
there, there is life uh, even in the depth of sorrow. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I highlighted some of the same phrases you did, Bill. Um, I, I like that it's come and see. That the sisters say, "Come and see," and this is a phrase that the disciples have used, as they say, "I've encountered the Messiah. Come and see." So I think what we're being asked to see is going to be profound. It's going to be something really heart-touching. Take away the stone. That's another phrase I highlighted. Um, How often are we more comfortable hiding in the tomb? How often does Jesus say, take away the stone, let the light in? Um, That is kind of valid. And unbind him and let him go. I mean, there's something about that phrase for me as well, that we want to constrain and, and, and control so much of what we allow other people to believe or hear. And, and maybe we need to be less fearful and more trusting about that. Um, I think the overarching one for me is, do you believe this? I mean, that's a hard one to answer. Did this really happen? If I ask that question, you know, do you really think this happened in Bethany? Do you think Lazarus was brought out of a tomb? Do you think he really died? I think we're asked during Lent to give some hard and honest consideration to that. Do we really believe he died four days in the tomb, dead? Or was he just in a coma? Or did he maybe fall unconscious? Uh, Did he have really low blood pressure and so people didn't think his heart was beating anymore? Was he really dead? And I think those are all hard and important questions that we need to grapple with. And, And not necessarily defend. I think we're allowed to say, I have no idea. I think Charles's answer is perfect. I have no idea. But do you believe this? And here we have Martha's statement of faith. It's like each of these stories has a statement of faith in it. And this statement of faith is, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. And there it is. And maybe that's the other, if there was such a thing as a thread that moved between these stories, is maybe the statements of faith are there for us in them. And and we're welcome to be just as uncomfortable as the people experiencing what these stories are telling us. What do you got, Don? I'll make the case for the verse. You're asking for a verse. I want to list lift up, so I'll make the case. But it's a it's a hard case. So I'll, I'll say this with with anxiety, right? Because it's about anxiety. I think the human condition is wrapped around all of this. These each story is lifted up, and we understand them on a particular day cross paths with Jesus, you have an inquiry, what time of day, it's all hours. Uh, But to set the stage for what I think is the verse, the heartbreaking verse, is um, don't we connect with, I didn't get to speak with her before she passed. I wish I had. I sure would have liked to ask this teacher, who's gone now, this question. I wish I'd been on time for the wedding. I'm so sorry. I haven't had a chance to meet your baby. I'm so sorry. 
Oh, if only I were born a few years later, there would have been a cure to polio. On and on. What we would say in those, there are elements of tragedy, you know, if you look at the theater, Sarah. And the human condition is all over this. And for each of those, anxiety. Oh, if I could undo. You're not on time. So obviously, the verse, the heartbreaking verse, is 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's the break, the, the end breaking as well, because the time and place doesn't really matter. And it's not about missed appointments. This is not the God of missed appointments. This is not the God of anxiety. This is not the God of missed opportunities. Everything is going to be set right. Lazarus is going to die again, but everything is going to be set right. So, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is a woman speaking when she says that to someone she may not see quite yet as Messiah. That's that's the anxiety. It's, oh, we missed another opportunity. What great anxiety. And so this is this is the Christ that re- reveals and relieves all of those things. So that that's the verse that pops out for me. Sarah, before we wrap up, the, you had said something in your other comments about our way is the best and only way. That's the way we come into relationships. And that's the, maybe the way we come into our relationship with what we think it should be with Jesus. You know, oh, if you'd only been here, or, you know, why aren't you taking care of me? And I raise this every three years that I love Gene O'Neill's play, Lazarus Laughed. And it's, it's too brief of a paraphrase, but I'm going to take a shot at it, which is to, to Sarah's point about, you know, our way is the best. Uh, and in the play, Lazarus laughs. He's, he's, he's back. He laughs and he laughs and he's filled with joy. He sings. He knows. He laughs. He laughs. It is unbearable. It is not the way of the world. It is not the way of this. It is not the way of the human condition. It is contrary to the human condition. And as a matter of law and as a matter of exasperation, at the end of the play, he is executed in all his happiness and laughter. Uh, So uh, we just have like 60 seconds to go, but before we wrap up, let me just go around and see if there's any follow-up. Any comments, folks? All right, hearing none. (laughs) Palmasia Presbyterian Church that makes this podcast possible is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for great sermons, discussions, Sunday schools, outstanding music opportunities to take communion. So check that out. And uh, we also want to always highlight, Sarah and I, before we began the recording, we're talking about folks who've reached out to us just in recent days and hours, uh, unexpectedly, about this uh, podcast with affirmation and questions. And uh, it means a lot to us, uh, especially if there are areas where you think we can make some changes or we, we can learn. We appreciate your outreach, and you're always welcome, and we'll see you next time.